Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Actually, this is the beginning of year three of the Peter King Podcast at NBC Sports. I am so happy to be back for a third year. There is so much to talk about. I mean, usually here we are in July and we're saying, okay, well, let's go to this training camp, go to that training camp. Quite honestly, I am in quarantine, which I will explain (laughs) in a moment. I'm in quarantine in my apartment in Brooklyn as I record this. So I'll explain to you how this summer is going to go, how it's going to be different from other summers for me. But first, let's talk about what we have on tap in this podcast. Number one, Fred Goodelli of NBC Sports, the executive producer of Sunday Night Football and NBC, nine consecutive years, the most watched program in all of American television. So we're going to have Fred uh, Gadelli to talk about what he sees in this very odd year coming up uh, with football on television and with football, period. And then I'll be joined by Eric Sugarman, the head athletic trainer of the Minnesota Vikings. He gave me a tour of the Vikings facility uh, last Friday, a few days ago, as I record this on Tuesday, July 21. Uh, We are still so much in flux with what's going to happen in football, but you're going to hear a lot about what an NFL facility is going to be like this year. A lot of education from Eric Sugarman. But first, a few thoughts about this very unusual year and a very unusual way to start year three of my tenure uh, full-time at NBC. So, was on vacation for a few weeks, and I really didn't do very much on vacation. It's my 40th anniversary. My wife and I, we had these grandiose plans. We were going to go to Europe. We were were going to go to the fjords in Norway, and then we were going to do something really romantic. We were going to go to Auschwitz. (laughs) We always wanted to go to Auschwitz, and I don't mean to make light of it, but it's just one of those things that, hey, we're going to go, but didn't quite work out this year. That'll have to be anniversary 41, hopefully. Um, But so we stayed around the house an awful lot, Uh, took short trips to Rhode Island, to the beach and to Burlington, Vermont. Uh, And hey, it was a really good summer. And I got used to a few things. I got used to being home for 136 days in a row, which really, uh, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say home, but I should say not being on a plane for 136 days in a row, which I'm sure 
since I walked out of college at Ohio University uh, in 1979, that that's my record. I've never <laughs> not been on an airplane and not traveled for that length of time. But honestly, I really appreciated it for this reason. Uh, I read a lot. Uh, I binged watched some good television. Lennox Hill, this great show about a living, breathing hospital during the pandemic uh, in New York City. Um, I'm on my second watching of The Crown <laughs> about Queen El the life and times of Queen Elizabeth, which is just an unbelievable show. Um, and, you know, I read an awful lot. So so that that was really good. But now as we head into the season, you know, what's so interesting to me is that, so last Thursday I got on a plane and I went to Minnesota to on Friday, spend the day at the Vikings training facility and then flew back late afternoon, early evening and, and got home. And when we got on the plane, Delta gave us a form you know, flying from Minneapolis to LaGuardia. They gave us a form and said, you got to fill this out. And Minnesota right now is one of the 21 states in the United States that when you're coming back to New York, you've got to uh, quarantine for two weeks. You basically got to stay at home. So normally when next week I would be starting my NFL training camp trip last week, last year, I think uh, 21 teams in 28 days, something like that. Um, you know, this year, I really don't know what's going to happen. I can't go until, you know, about 10 or 12 days from now anyway. And who knows if there will even be any practices to cover because now it looks like all teams are going to be doing at the beginning is basically conditioning uh, and you know, I'm dying to go see Tom Brady throw a football to Rob Gronkowski in these weird uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers colors. But quite honestly, I, I don't know when that is going to be. I don't know when he's actually going to be able to pick up a football and throw it to him. Same with Cam Newton in New England and, and all these other interesting stories. So, but I, I have to tell you, it, it doesn't really bother me. The whole thing, I love training camp, unlike any other time of the year. It's my favorite time of the year. But I'm going to tell you why it doesn't bother me. It's the same reason why when I see people arguing about masks. You know, I get up every morning at 6.30, 6.45 in the morning, and I put the leash on my dog, and I walk up the street in Brooklyn, 20-minute walk, let's say. But before I go out every morning, I put the mask on. And it has become a simple fact of life. I wear a mask. Anytime I leave my apartment, it's, it's hooked right on the door. So I just take it off the door and I put it on. It doesn't bother me. I work out in a park near my apartment and I work out with a mask on. And so I, and I mean, look, it, as everybody knows in the US right now, I worked out today with a mask on. And I'm just telling you, it was 91 degrees at whatever, 940 in the morning or whatever it was. It's pretty hot, but I've just gotten used to it. It's not, it's not really not that big a deal. But anyway, I'm just saying that I'm not bothered by this. You know why? 
we got to beat this. We got to get right in this country so we can move on and so that we can have, we can be back to normal. And back to normal to me, you know, includes the National Football League on fall Sundays and fall Thursdays and fall Mondays. So personally, I really hope it happens. Um, I'm not altogether optimistic that the full season gets played, but we'll see. Um, but anyway, let's start off our first podcast, Fred Gadelli, Eric Sugarman. I think you're really going to like the conversation with them. And I'll be back every week, whatever happens, good, bad, indifferent. I hope it's good, but whatever it is, you'll hear it right here on the Peter King podcast. Let's go to Fred Gadelli, my compadre from NBC Sports and one of the great men in television sports history. Fred Gadelli, the executive producer of Sunday Night Football and NBC. And, and Fred, just in case you don't want to brag, I just want to let you know, because I'm sure you don't know, you've only had the top television show in the United States of America for nine consecutive years, which, by the way, is an American television record. Not MASH, not Archie Bunker, not Seinfeld. American not Idol. I mean, come on, Fred. Pat yourself on the back there. Well, I will if we can make it 10. <laughs> That's a nice round number. Yes, it uh, is. But anyway, so Fred, let's... You are joining us tonight. We're taping this on Tuesday night, July 21, right before this, we're going to air it on Wednesday, July 22. And you're joining us from Nashville. Tell us what you're doing in Nashville right now. Well, we're getting ready to shoot the opening for the 2020 Sunday Night Football season with Kerry Underwood. Uh, we had a brief little meeting today. Tomorrow, we're going to record the song and shoot a small portion of the video and then friday we're going to a sound stage to shoot the rest of the video so it's something that is at this point of the year usually completed uh but because of covid and all the restrictions and things of that nature uh we're going to be doing a little bit of a cram job between now and opening night what does it all entail i mean people who watch this show you know, the 20 million people who watched the show, I believe, on average last year would love to know, how do you shoot this? Uh, what does Carrie Underwood do? What do you do? What happens? Well, uh, every year we try to rearrange the song a little bit. Last year we had Joan Jett as a guest. We kind of brought it back to its roots. This year uh, we've taken it a little bit away from that and gone with a little bit of a different version that I don't want to truly give away right here. So Carrie's involved with that. You know, we worked with her producer the entire month of March uh, to kind of come up with the arrangement that we were going for that he liked. And then she ultimately had to sign, uh, sign off on. Then we wait for the schedule to come out to kind of write the lyrics for the games. And while we're doing that, uh, Trip Dixon is the creative director at NBC Sports. He's kind of planning out what the visual concept is going to be. We did a couple of Zoom calls with Carrie and her manager, uh, Ann Edelblut, and kind of went through the concepts. Carrie weighed in. Uh, we got the schedule. We wrote the lyrics. Uh, and like I said, normally we, we record the lyrics no later than the first week of June and the new song. 
And then we'd shoot about the third week in June, somewhere around June 20th every year is when we shoot for a couple of days. But because of COVID and the restrictions and, you know, all the things that no one could do, uh, we, we, we pretty much knew right away we were not shooting in June. So we delayed it as far into July as we could, figuring how long could we wait and still be able to have a finished product on opening Sunday night in Los Angeles. And uh, so tomorrow uh, she will will bring the band in in the morning, record the instrumentals. Carrie will come in in the afternoon, record the vocals for all the games and potential flex games. Then she'll get in hair and makeup and wardrobe and she'll do about three or four hours of shooting in the studio. Uh, Thursday, we have to go reset at our soundstage. And then Friday, we start at seven o'clock in the morning and end at six o'clock at night, uh, pretty much shooting all day long. Wow. It looks so simple. <laughs> it looks so easy. <laughs> That's magic of television. It's supposed to look easy. Yeah, yeah. What's she like to work with? Consummate professional. Uh, she pretty much nails every single take. Uh, there, You don't have to do... I mean, you do two or three takes just for protection. You didn't see something, you know, in the background or something like that, but She's well-prepared. Uh, she's collaborative as can be. Uh, she's an extremely nice person and great to be around. So it's pretty much a highlight every time we do this, Peter. So uh, I take it that the fact that you are doing the Open for Sunday Night Football, you have to feel like there will be Sunday Night Football. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, like everybody else in America, that's what I'm hoping for. And, um, you know, I heard somebody say this, uh, starting is one thing, finishing is another, but we have to start. And I think if we're able to start on time or somewhere close to starting on time, uh, you know, that'll be huge. And then is, hey, how do we manage this? When I say we, you know, the NFL, the broadcast networks, the teams, everyone, how do the fans, how do we manage this from start to finish to get to the Super Bowl with that? Look, there's going to be there's going to be players that test positive. There's probably going to be coaches that test positive. We know that's going to happen. But how do we management? How do they contain it? And, you know, just really hoping hard that uh, there are systems in place and we learn as we go and are able to get better at it as the season goes on. Why do you think the United States needs the NFL to play this year? You know, if you look back in history, I think even going back to World War One, when the commissioner asked Woodrow Wilson, hey, you know, should we not play, uh, you know, this coming season because we're at war? And he said, no, 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 America needs the game. And back then, we know baseball was the national pastime. And I think Roosevelt had the same uh, words for the commissioner of baseball back in World War II. And I just think the country needs something positive to get their mind off of it temporarily uh, and have some enjoyment on a weekly basis. And football, the NFL in particular, but college football, too, plays such a huge part in the American psyche that if we had a fall without either of those two things, I mean, I, I, I'm fearful for the country if that actually happened. It's interesting you say that. I, you know, I'm really excited about 
you know, the opening of the baseball season. I, I don't, I don't feel the same way about it as I normally do, but you know, Hey, you love baseball. I love baseball, but you know, Thursday night, I will be watching every pitch of Nats Yankees. And then if I can stay awake, I'll try to see Mookie Betts against the Giants, right. you know, on Thursday night. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I'm also excited about Fauci throwing out the first pitch, yeah. <laughs> which is really going to be fun. It's be fantastic. Right. Yeah, it's cool. How about the World Series champion? You know, you don't have, you don't have somebody from the Washington Nationals you have Anthony Fauci, yeah. National Institutes of Health, throwing out the first pitch. It's just, it's classic. But I'm excited about baseball, but there's something about a fall Sunday and, you know, without in any way trying to sound self-important, me or you, I just think it's a, it has become in the United States a different animal. A fall Sunday Every fall Sunday, you know, starting at 1 Eastern, ending at 1140 Eastern, you know, football all day has become the American way. And again, without sounding too self-important, I take it you feel the same way as I do. Yeah. I mean, like, what would the weekends be like? Look, we've just gone through however many weekends in a row, you know, before golf came back, then auto racing you know, without any sports, but this is the sport. This is what, you know, this is the buildup to the biggest event in the world, the Super Bowl, And it's a 23 week buildup and everybody's into it. And there are so many things that, that feed off it, you know, so many other businesses that feed off it, but really the psyche of Americans, a fall without the NFL. I mean, it, I don't even want to imagine what that would be like, because I think there would be, there would be a lot of depressed people in America and, you know, um, yeah, I'm just hoping we don't have to even, you know, think about that situation much longer. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As you watch what has developed over the last few weeks, and especially here recently, what, if anything, gives you pause? And what would you be worried about, not only as a professional in putting the NFL on the air, but just in someone who likes the games? 
Well, are you talking specifically about, you know, player health or, or, or that? Yeah, or and, and, you know, and the, and, the, and, and the game's actually happening. Well, I mean, look, we're all going to be doing the games, I think, a little bit differently. I think the field of play is going to be, I mean, the entire field is going to be a pretty pristine area with far fewer people on it than uh, we've seen in a long, long time. That's camera people, that's photographers, that's whomever. I think we're going to get down to the bare number of people on the field so the players feel safe. Um, you know, I think all the networks, and I'm going to be, talk a little bit selfishly here, but, you know, no preseason is kind of like the last thing we all needed because we're all going to be doing things differently this year. In the past, you know, I'd have my entire operation at the game. That's not the case this year. Uh, my graphics operation will be remoted from Stanford. My edit operation is going to be remoted from Stanford. Terry McCauley, who sat in the booth, you know, for all those years, uh, he's going to be remoted from Stanford. And that's something we've never done. Now, is it is it like launching, you know, the space shuttle? Of course not. No. But those are things that none of us have ever been used to. And I'm sure Fox is going to be having the same kind of um, concessions and CBS and ESPN so we really were looking forward to preseason to try to iron out these bugs and, um, you know, get it straight for opening night. As it appears, as you and I talk right now, it's all going to be worked out on opening night and opening weekend, which doesn't give you a real confident feeling going into it. But it is what it is. And we're going to have to do our best to try to, you know, come up to speed without that preseason. So from a from a professional standpoint, you know, that's some of my biggest concerns right now. And then there's still so much unknown about this virus, Peter, and there's still so much unknown, unknown about the testing. Now, I've been told, like, I'm going to be tested three times a week. Al, Chris, Michelle, they're probably going to be tested three times a week. Um, if, um, you know, the social distancing policies that NBC Universal has put in place are for the health and safety of all the employees. But, you know, we've had to totally reorganize our trucks. So there's six feet of uh, space between each person. We're all going to be wearing masks during the game, you know, which is for me, it's nonstop talking for three and a half hours, you know, with the mask on. Uh, but hey, if one of us in my truck tests positive, we're all out for two weeks, you know? So, you know, that's daunting, you know, to think that, there's six people in my in my little truck right now, which is not so little, but there's six of us. And if one of us tests positive, we're out for the next two weeks. And that that's definitely something that makes you, you know, worry a little bit. So, Fred, let me just unpack a few things that you sure. just said. First of all, um, for people who don't know, the NBC Sports, the NBC Universal headquarters, sports headquarters are now not in New York City, they're in Stamford, Connecticut. Correct. So the uh, the, the uh, Sunday night football uh, pregame show, you know, football night in America, originates from that set, not from uh, when I used to work there, not from basically at first. You know, was a, what was really fun at first, we were in the old studio where Jeopardy with Art Fleming used to be. You know, when, when I was 10 years old, growing up in Connecticut, I would watch that. And, and here I am standing in that studio. And then later in the Saturday Night Live studio. But now 
It is in Stamford, Connecticut, at this gorgeous state-of-the-art facility. So what you're saying is that a good number of your crew won't be on the road with you anymore. They will be in Stamford, Connecticut. Right. Uh, you know, six, you know, six really important production people in the graphics area and the edit area uh, are not going to be with us. And, you know, in the past, you know, I could walk into the graphics room and say, Hey, can I see this and take a look at it and say, Hey, why don't you change this? Or yeah, that looks, too, that looks great. Or walk into the edit room and things of that nature. And that can't happen now. I mean, I have to pick up the phone and say, Hey, can you send this down so I can take a look at it? Or can you put this up uh, so I can take a look at it? And, you know, like any other team, you know, it works best when it's human to human. Um, but that's not that's not the scenario we're in right now. So we're all going to try have to compensate and try to keep the effectiveness of a team without the team in the flesh altogether, as it's been, you know, since the dad got into this business. Let's talk for a minute, because I know that, you know, when you guest wrote my column a year ago, you wrote an awful lot about the music that is played as the bumpers during that telecast. So, I mean, this might be totally nerding out on Sunday Night Football. What is going to happen to the Sunday Night Football music? Uh, well, look, I think, you know, I don't really see a big change in that. I mean, obviously, there'll probably be some guardrails, and I can't think of a song right now that would, you know, be suggestive of a pandemic, uh, <laughs> but there'd probably be some guardrails that we'd have to put up to make sure that we're not being inadvertently insensitive, you know, right. to what's going on in the country. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, Wendell Stevens, who really deserves all the credit for the music, uh, I'm sure he's, and he and I have had a bunch of discussions not about the music, about what the audio is going to be. Uh, where, where will he be on Sunday night? Will he be in Stanford? No, he'll be in the compound with, with us. Okay. He has to be. Yeah, he has to be on set. Okay. Um, so, Fred, talk for a minute about how a television crew at a game site in 2020 is going to be different. Well, I mean, you know, you won't be able to look somebody in the eye and really be able to make that judgment. Does this person understand what I'm saying fully? And do they give me the sense or give Drew Essikoff, our director, the sense that they're, they're going to be able to execute what we're explaining right here? And, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're disconnected, physically disconnected, there is something lost. I mean, I think... Look, we're, we're going to be working our you know tails off to overcome that, but there's something lost, and um, we're going to have to figure out how to minimize that loss and not have it affect the quality of the presentation. Was there ever a chance or a threat that Al, Chris, Michelle would have to do this from a studio instead of a press box? I mean, look, it was certainly something that was a possibility. It's not something that I spent a lot of time planning for uh, because I felt like we did have time on our side. You know, the fact that, you know, the football season wasn't until, you know, well, we thought August, but, it, you know, when it really mattered in September. 
but yeah, that possibility definitely existed. And, um, you know, I, when I started in this business, I started at ESPN in 1982 and we didn't really have the rights to a lot of things back then. I remember uh, Jim Simpson and Cliff Drysdale calling a Davis Cup match from Australia in Bristol. And, <laughs> and we did a lot of events like that at ESPN back in the day. Uh, so I know it can be done. I, I saw Well, that's how the Olympics are done in many cases too. Yeah, right. You know, they're done from a compound. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the, the last Olympics, we had people in Stanford calling events, not yeah. figure skating or not downhill skating. Yeah, but I mean, you know, judo or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, boxing at the last Summer Olympics, I believe, was done from Stanford. Yeah, no, there are a lot of events that get done that way. It's not impossible. Yeah. Uh, I know ESPN, you know, does a lot of college basketball games that way now because they have such a volume of events it's just more cost effective. I don't think it's production effective, but it's cost. It's more cost effective to do it that way. Um, Fred, let's. What is it going to be like? Let's assume for a moment that uh, early games are going to have some early games at least. Like I can't imagine. Uh, you know, the Rams opening their stadium on Sunday night football with any fans in the stadium. Now, right. I don't know that for sure, right. Right. but what will that be like to do a game with no fans there? Yeah, I mean, you know, just watching a couple of these baseball games the other night in New York, you know, the one at City Field and the one at Yankee Stadium. And, I mean, there is definitely something missing now. I know that uh, we're probably going to have some type of artificial audio as our, as are all the other networks who are doing the NFL this year, if we don't have any fans. I mean, if you have 10,000 fans, that's enough fans for, to, to, to make a nice crowd sound that people are accustomed to. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, in the past you do games and if there was a team that had trouble putting people in the seats you know, we would we'd be, we would be so aware of, hey, don't show empty seats. Don't show empty seats. You know, figure out another way to get this shot. Well, now there's nothing but empty seats and tarps. I think tarps, I think tarps are better than empty seats for, you know, for television coverage. But, you know, we're probably going to have to shoot the game a little bit tighter. But you're going to have to live with the fact that there's going to be some empty seats uh, in your shots and, you know, you just try to, you know, try to minimize that and, um, you know, try to get on with the game and tell some really good stories and, you know, hopefully have a, a tight game, which is what really people tune in, you know, really people, you know, really kind of plug into. But um, it's definitely going to be different. Uh, you know, golf, it doesn't bother me. I watch a lot of golf. No fans really doesn't bother me. And it's had no effect on me whatsoever. Now, if it were the Ryder Cup, I might feel differently. Or if it was Augusta, or when it is Augusta, I might feel differently. Uh, but, you know, regular you know, golf tournaments on the weekend is not a big deal. Even auto racing hasn't really affected me because the main sound in auto racing are the engines, you know. And the empty seats are a little bit disconcerting. But I think these sports that, you know, where the crowd, you know, plays a role, the stick and ball sports – um, you know, it, it, there's going to be something lacking. What's your understanding about 
the first game of the season, Houston at Kansas City. One of the great crowds in all of sports, Kansas City playing at home. Is it your understanding there will be zero fans, or has that been decided yet? I don't think it's been decided, but again, you know how these how everything fluctuates in these states on a daily basis. I think Kansas, uh, or Missouri, I should say, uh, is one of the states right now that could have some partial fans. So I would not be surprised if there were ten or 15,000 fans in the seats at Arrowhead uh, on opening night. I don't know that to be certain, but I do know Missouri was in pretty good shape and, and we're talking about partial crowds. And again, but we know how this virus has basically changed thoughts and perceptions on a daily basis. So let's see we, where we are on September 10th. Um, the other venue that I'm sure is interesting to you is Seattle because Seattle is one of the great venues in all of sports, you know, as is Arrowhead, but you got Seattle Sunday night football week two. Right. So, you know, and Seattle and Washington has, you know, really was kind of the Genesis of the disease in America without fans there. And just my gut feeling, man, it's a long shot that there will be fans there two months from this week. What do you think about Seattle with no fans? Yeah, I mean, I can't think of another team in the last 10 years whose game experience was as big a part of the game as the Seattle Seahawks, the 12th man and, you know, and and the damage they wrecked on the opponents. I mean, that, you know, we would do all the, you know, you do, we did a lot of games in Seattle. We would do the production meetings with the opposing teams. And there wasn't a lot of talk about strategy. The biggest strategy we talked about is what are you going to do to combat the noise? How are you going to communicate? You know, what have you learned? Who have you spoken to? Uh, what do you think is the best chances to try to mitigate that in order for you to run your offense tonight? And if there aren't any fans, uh, that's not going to be a question for Bill Belichick. Uh, Bill, the question for Bill Belichick is going to be, hey, what's going to be like the play here in silence? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a hard one to even imagine because, like I said, it was such a part of the game. It was a part of the strategy of the, of the opposing team. Can I ask you another question about the first Sunday night game? Um, about a year ago uh, on my training camp tour, a little less than a year ago, you know, I was told that the NFL would really like to make the first Sunday night game, you know, the Rams. And as the season went on more and more and more, I started hearing about, you know, as you got later in the season and, and in the winter and certainly by the league meetings, they wanted it to be the Dallas Cowboys. And that's such a cool idea, you know, to have the Dallas Cowboys open this, you know, the stadium of stadiums in Los Angeles. And I really, if we had three hours on this podcast, I'd ask you 14 questions about this. But I think the one that really crystallizes it for me is that, Al Michaels has wanted a new stadium and a new team or teams. 
He's the one who predicted that there would be more than one team in L.A. about, what, five or six years ago, and everybody said he's out of his mind. Right. And he turned out to be predicting the future. Right. But what is it about that particular stadium for people who don't know a lot about it? I almost view that, even though it's sad there won't be fans there, you're going to be able to tell a really interesting story that night football back in LA in a new palace and in this new stadium. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, an enormous opportunity. Uh, we're obviously, you know, happy it's the Cowboys and, you know, I think, I think Stan Kroenke really wanted to have Jerry Jones and his team in yeah. the state opening night. Now in a normal year, I would have been there three times already. Uh, I haven't been there yet. Uh, we were able to do a survey last week, but because of quarantine restrictions and me having to come here this week, I couldn't go. But our production manager, Tim DeKime, went and he said, Fred, it blows away any stadium I've ever been in. And he's been in the business longer than I have. And look, I think AT&T, you know, to me, is still the standard and still somebody shows me different. But he said it surpasses AT&T. He said they thought of every single thing, the connectivity in the building. I think they have something like 45 POV cameras that any broadcast network can use. Eight different shots of Los Angeles, 12 different shots in the tunnels, goalpost cameras, pylon cameras, their own sky cam. Uh, He said the video board, you cannot even imagine it. He said, you see the drawings, you see the renderings. When you get in there and you look at it, he said it's, it goes, it's breathtaking. So um, it's a shame uh, that there are not going to be fans in there to enjoy it unless we get a vaccine next week. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, you're right. There's going to be an unbelievable story to tell about what a technological and architectural marvel uh, this building is. I, I was thinking at the time when the, the, you know, when I sort of knew that this was going to be the host stadium, I said, you know, how perfect is it? You know, Magic Johnson and LeBron James on the sidelines, you know, and all of the other stuff, the glitterati, Jack Nicholson, whoever would be there. It would have been so cool. But as it, as it stands, so, you know, now you tell the story of the stadium this year, and then week five, 2021, when you're back, all the stars will be in the house that night, you know? Well, hey, if they win the Super Bowl, we can open up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, last couple of things I would ask you. Um, in some ways, for somebody who does television for a living, you have to wake up in the morning and look at this as your biggest challenge. No doubt. No question. And, you know, when we, we, we've been meeting as a team since April 1st and I started that meeting, I said, look, someone or some team is going to figure this out and how to overcome all these challenges better than the rest of the teams. And we have to put ourselves in a position to be that team. So, you know, we've studied so many other broadcasts that have, come on since, you know, return to play, whether it be Bundesliga, whether it be the Premier League. Uh, I, I watched an entire soccer game from Denmark where they had a Zoom call for fans on the other sideline. 
And it's been a Wait a minute. Explain that. What was that? So there was a game in Denmark where uh, no fans, no fans, but they did a Zoom call and they were able to arrange the far sideline as a wall of people watching the game, fans watching the game on Zoom. And uh, it was there was there, you know, and but only one camera could have it because it's 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 extremely expensive. It's technologically complicated. So when they would cut to a low camera, it wouldn't be there. If they'd cut to a different high camera, it wouldn't be there. But there's not a lot of cutting in soccer because the balls in play a lot. So it, it really worked pretty well. Um, could you do that? Um, yes, you could, but um, it's not cheap. And like every other business in America, our business is, you know, has its financial challenges as well. So we're, we're really trying to figure out the fan component and how to make sure that we do have a fan component if there aren't fans in the stands at every game, which it doesn't look like there's going to be at every game, at least. So how, um, how do you think the football game on TV this year, assuming there are games? How do you think the football game is going to look different? Uh, well, there'd be shots that you would normally cut to after a big play or after, you know, a huge drive or, you know, decision-making time of people in the stands, you know, really kind of tensing up or celebrating or depressed. You know, those to me are the little exclamation points to what's happening on the field. And, you know, with, you know, maybe with a couple of occasions, for the most part, you know, they're not going to be there in New York. They're not going to be there in California. You know, I don't know where else they, you know, they're, they're not going to be at this point, but they're not going to be in a lot of places. So that's going to change it. But, you know, Peter, just like the NFL draft, um, something really great came out of the NFL draft. There was humanity that came out of the NFL draft. Something good is going to come out of this football coverage. And I mean, that's what we're really trying to figure out. Okay, so we don't have this. So what do we do to compensate for that? And, uh, you know, that's what everybody who does what I do for a living as it relates to covering football, college or NFL is trying to figure out right now. Are you going to tell me one of the new bells or whistles you know what you're going to use? We haven't solidified anything yet because, you know, without preseason, we couldn't test anything. Um, normally, we would set our trucks up for a week in Canton, a week before the Hall of Fame game, you know, get everything set up, make sure everything works, rehearse a lot of the new elements. We can't even find a stadium to set up in right now because – most of the NFL stadiums uh, are being used for training camp because of the multiple locker rooms and the ability to, to spread social distance players. Um, and so we haven't even been able to do that yet. So a lot of this stuff is on the drawing board, but none of it has been, you know, um, clinically proved, so to speak. So uh, I can't even really tell you, hey, here's one thing we're definitely going to do. I mean, look, there's going to be stories. I mean, there are so many people. The Whitworth story, I saw it on national news tonight. We have Duvernay Tardif in our first game. He was working with, you know, COVID patients in the winter in Canada. So there's going to be a lot of these stories about people who were affected. Uh, so we're definitely going to, you know, try to illuminate those as best as we can. 
And we're obviously not going to ignore it. There's the social justice aspect of this season, which is also going to be an enormous story to start. And then we'll see where it goes. So, um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot to there's going to be a lot to figure out between now and September 10th. And we've been working on it since April. Absolute gut feeling. You think this season plays and finishes with a Super Bowl? Uh, I'm, I'm an optimist, so I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, I think it might be a little less than 50-50, but Richard Sherman told me the other day, uh, he said if the NFL starts, they're going to do everything humanly possible to finish. And, you know, not only for 9 billion reasons, okay, but also because I think one of the things, and you talked about it at the top, I think without sounding again, it sounds so ridiculously self-important. I just think America needs it. Without a doubt. I mean, that's been, like, you know, we talked about it. That's been the history of the country. There's that, there's that distraction how for, even though it's a short amount of time compared with speaking of those Sunday, it is pretty much an entire day that, that people need to have or everything kind of craters with it. And um, that's not what America needs right now. That's for sure. Fred Gadelli, executive producer of Sunday Night Football. I really, really appreciate you joining me. And uh, look, I'm, uh, I'm really, really hopeful. Fans or no fans, when September 10 comes around, you know, we're watching your telecast of Houston and Kansas City. And uh, we watch a lot more after that as well. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, Peter. My thanks to Fred Gadelli. Great segment, some really interesting information. Now, let's go out to my trip to Minnesota last weekend and my conversation with the head athletic trainer of the Minnesota Vikings, Eric Sugarman. Very happy to be joined uh, live in Minnesota. Uh, with Eric Sugarman, the Minnesota Vikings v Vice President of Sports Medicine, their head athletic trainer, and also a new title, the Infection Control Officer for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I'm sitting here with Eric Sugarman in a conference room at the Minnesota Vikings team facility in Egan, Minnesota. He has on a very cute uh, Minnesota Vikings mask, and I have a, uh, a regular old mask that I got in a drugstore in Brooklyn, New York. But anyway, Eric, uh, great to have you with me. And uh, I really appreciate it. We've just finished taking a tour of the Vikings facility, which opened in 2017. It's one of the jewels of the NFL. And it has changed mightily, I would say. Not the structure. When you drive by it, it looks the same. But you've made some massive changes because of COVID-19. How has that been for you to do and for you to sort of engineer these changes? Yeah, well, first of all, Peter, thanks for having me on my first ever podcast. And <laughs> it's, it's an honor to be on it and do it with you. So I, I appreciate you. it. I appreciate you coming here. 
Uh, my only wish is that you brought me some bagels from Brooklyn, but you didn't. Then that's okay. <laughs> Maybe next time. Um, so anyway, um, you know, this has been a, a remarkable transformation over four months. Um, early March, when the virus started, uh, none of us had any idea uh, how grandiose this would become. And, uh, you know, the Vikings acted immediately, uh, actually shut down our building before the NFL uh, recommended that we do so. Uh, our ownership group has been very proactive in keeping uh, all the employees safe and uh, quickly established a COVID committee with the Minnesota Vikings, which consisted of myself, uh, Karin Nelson, who is a VP um, uh, in our legal department, um, also Laura Juris, who's a VP uh, in human resources, and Chad Lundeen, who's VP of facilities. We would report up to Rick uh, Spielman, our GM, and Andrew Miller, our new COO. So, um, you know, that committee uh, had no idea what they were getting themselves into as time went on and, and really uh, were the people that were charged with getting the protocols and making our building safe uh, for when we entered the reopening of phase one uh, to 50 employees uh, to, to now when we're preparing for the return of uh, other staff and, and eventually our players. Um, you, when you talk about all the stuff that has happened here, and we'll go over a few of these things. Basically, what has happened is you have added this this duty, infection control officer. And it strikes me when I think about the infection control officers at every one of the NFL's 32 teams now. Everyone is designated one person in the organization to head up infection control at the facilities this year. Explain exactly what that entails for for you with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's a responsibility that is is huge for any of the 32 infection control officers uh, throughout the league because you really are ultimately responsible for making sure that you follow the protocols that have been established, follow the protocols that are yet to come, uh, and make sure that the protocols are enforced. Um, have an action plan for when there is a sick player or employee. Um, you know, you're going to be the one getting the alert when someone uh, perhaps puts a, a symptom on their uh, health screen for the day, or if they enter uh, and they're, they have a fever, uh, you're going to be the one that has to act. Um, so it, it is a grand responsibility. I, I'm honored that the Vikings selected me to have that responsibility. Um, you know, we, we will be the ones to, to make sure throughout the league that everything is being followed. And, and we have to report to the NFL and the NFLPA. Um, you know, I'm sure we could be subject of a random inspection uh, to make sure we're following the rules and uh, we will enforce it. When a player walks into the training facility for training camp, and I'm being optimistic, but I'm assuming there's going to be a training camp and there's going to be uh, you know, practices at some point soon. But when a player walks in, tell me exactly what he's going to have to do to be able to get into that building today, starting with the little trailer outside in your parking lot. Yeah, so as, as we speak right now, Peter, the, the testing uh, is still um, being in the middle of negotiations with the NFL and NFLPA, so we don't have the the specific protocols of the of the dynamic or cadence of the testing. We do have a testing trailer in the parking lot, as do all 32 clubs, where the players uh, and staff, myself, anyone that is in what's Tier 1 or Tier 2, uh, will get tested. 
uh, on whatever cadence is, is deemed through the protocol. Secondly, the players and staff have an application on their phone uh, through Teamworks where they fill out a health questionnaire. No different than people that are listening do when they enter their place of work if they are back working. Questions like, uh, do you feel feverish? Do you have muscle aches, headache, uh, loss of taste or smell, uh, et cetera, cough? Um, secondly, have you had contact with anyone that, that's tested positive for COVID in the last 14 days and have you traveled internationally in the last 14 days? If you have no symptoms and check no for both of those, you hit confirm and within five seconds you get a green check text on your phone which allows you entrance into the building. You'll walk in, uh, we only have one door where tier one and tier two people can come in and out. Uh, the other areas are restricted. Tier one and tier two, explain who those are. So uh, tier one and tier two, tier one is defined uh, anyone with close contact over 10 minutes with players. That would be uh, people like the players, the coaches, the athletic trainers, the equipment staff, uh, perhaps one or two of the chefs, uh, security, cleaning people, uh, et cetera. So that's tier one. Tier two is people that also have close contact with those individuals, um, but maybe not quite as long. So, you know, we're talking about other people in the cafeteria, other security, cleaning crew, assistant equipment managers, and on and on and on. So these are, these are the people that are in those tiers. Um, secondarily, And though, you can have a maximum of 100 of those tier one and tier two combined in, in, a, in a day. Per day, you are allowed 100 in those secure, restricted tiers, correct. And that does not include the players. Right. Uh, secondarily to the health screen, you walk in, and two other things have to happen. You show the green check mark. You do a temperature scan, which is hands-free, which you and I did, Peter, today a couple times. Uh, make sure you don't have a fever above 100.4. And then lastly, you will be handed a contact tracing device that you will put on your person. And it will follow you throughout the course of the day while you're What is this device? Is it like a bracelet? The device, uh, it, it could look like a wristwatch. Um, it, it could go on a lanyard, uh, things like that. Uh, it's really can go under a wristband. It's really team uh, determinant of, of how that will be. Uh, but what this thing does is it, it tracks you through GPS throughout the course of the day. And if, God forbid, you come up as COVID positive during the day or the next day, uh, instantaneously you will be able to see who that person came in contact with for an extended period of time. And they would be also subject to further testing. So after this happens, and after, let's say, a player reports for work, you know, he's all clean, he's, you know, his temperature is fine, he's, he may have had a COVID test in the trailer outside, he comes in, how is his life different? Oh, his life is way different. Uh, from the minute he comes in the parking lot, he knows his life is different uh, from the markings and signage on uh, the, the pavement. Uh, where it's socially distanced in case there's a couple players at once. From the signage he sees that uh, you must wear a face covering to enter the building to the second sign that says if you're sick or have any symptoms, call Eric Sugarman and my email and phone number are posted out there for everyone to see. Um, then when you walk in the building, you know, you see the temperature scanner. You walk in the locker room, uh, which, you know, housed over 90 lockers, still does. However, we're using basically every third locker now so that we have uh, social distance, which is appropriate. Uh, we can get 42 lockers now in the locker room, and we've had to add additional lockers in other spaces to accommodate our roster. Um, to the meeting rooms. If you are an old lineman, you have one of the biggest meeting rooms in the building, which can sit over 20 guys, which now is only going to be for 12 players, because that is the only way we can enforce social distancing in that room. To the auditorium that has 172 seats, 
which now of only 42 are usable when practicing proper social distance. To the indoor facility, which will have a meeting room of 50 people set up on the field. Um, to the cafeteria, which is... The meeting room on the field is sort of interesting. Describe that. Yeah, so we needed another space. You know, the, the dynamic of a football team, you, you, you have a team meeting, which we're not going to be able to do because uh, of space. But usually the offense will meet as a group and the defense will meet as a group before they separate into position meetings. Well, we only have one space where we could fit enough guys to do that. So we have to create another one. We're going to get 50 chairs that are spaced out properly on the field, whole AV system. So either the offense or defense will be able to meet in there at the same time as the opposite group is in the auditorium. And at that point, when they're meeting out on the field, you'll have what, some video screens set up in, in, the, in the area? Yeah, there'll be AV equipment in there, and they'll be able to watch film and tape just like they're in the auditorium. Uh, it, it should be no different other than a larger area. So how much, how different is it going to feel to be a player and a coach and an athletic trainer in 2020? Yeah, it's going to be like nothing any of us have ever experienced. Hopefully, we never have to experience it again once we get through it, which we will. Um, you know, just the simple fact of you and I sitting here, Peter, looking each other in the eye, and that's all we could see because we have face coverings on. And you know what? They're not very comfortable. But this is our new normal, and we will get used to it. Listen, the first few weeks are going to be critical that we provide proper education and everyone understands the new normal. It is our only chance for success is, is education, in, in my opinion. And uh, we could talk about that more. But um, it, it's going to be way different from the way they meet, uh, probably to the way we practice, to the way they eat, um, to what they do in life outside of the building. So very, very different. Explain your cafeteria and how it worked in 2019 and how it'll work in 2020. Yeah, so 2019, the cafeteria had uh, many stations, uh, two buffet lines, a sandwich line, where you would take your own food with your own hand or spoon. Uh, it had a salad bar where you would grab stuff uh, out and put on your plate, and you'd grab a common Italian dressing and pour it on your salad. You'd scoop the potato salad out of the bowl and hand the spoon to the next guy. Um, those days are over. Uh, now, uh, the, it, the cafeteria had two doors you'd come in and out of if you were... Wanted seconds, you just got up from your chair and sat and went and got more. Um, we can't do that anymore. So now there's one entrance and there's one exit, which are separate. There's a one-way traffic pattern. The buffet lines will still exist, but they're behind plexiglass. And now the chefs are the only people allowed to give you your food on a plate that is disposable with a fork, spoon, and knife that is disposable with single-use condiments that are disposable. Uh, and then you go to a table that is seating instead of for four, it's for one. So there's only one person per table, and, and we have enough for 40 people in our cafeteria to sit down. Of course, the table must be disinfected before and after someone uses it, and uh, this is kind of the dynamic. The other twist that we added is an application on your phone where you could pre-order your food, whether it's your sandwich for lunch or your breakfast omelet or whatever it might be. You could simply walk in the door of the cafeteria. Everyone knows who everyone is in this building, and they will hand you your food. You'll be in there for 15 seconds. And, of course, that cuts down on contact. So that's you want people to order their, their lunch with an app. Yeah, I think ideally that's the way it goes um, because, again, it just cuts down on contact time. And, and uh, the, the less gathering we could have, the safer we will be. I think most people will listen to this and say, it's not 
at your training facility where you're in danger of getting COVID-19. It is out in the real world. And you are asking 23, 24, 25-year-old young men who have some money and who are used to going out and, uh, you know, going out among the people, going to restaurants, going to bars. And that, to me, is where the danger is in this NFL season. How do you approach your players to talk about that? Yeah, I I agree with you. That is one of the great dangers. Um, We know that as you walk through our building today, Peter, you saw all the, all the things that we've done to make it safe and the way we're going to clean and, and, and all of those things. This building is going to be a safe place to be. Um, and, of course, the players are going to be getting tested on whatever cadence is decided. So we're going to be safe. Um, we all have a responsibility, myself as an athletic trainer, as a human being, as a father, uh, as a husband, as the ICO, has a responsibility to make the right choices outside of this building because it is outside of this building where myself, the coaches, the players can contract this virus and bring it back into the building. I do think um, the only way we do it is through education, just like we educate the players on concussions and uh, prescription medications and all of those things. This is, this is the same. We have to educate and educate and educate and their families. And I truly believe the team that does it best has a competitive advantage. So you will not only be meeting with players are you saying that you may also meet with families and we talk absolutely, to families yes sir peter we absolutely will meet uh with the players separately with the staff uh the coaches separately we will meet with tier one and tier two separately and we also uh, will absolutely meet with the players families to educate them because again their home is where they're going to and their home needs to be safe uh, environment for them as well Tell me, what will the secret be, do you think, for the NFL to be able to play four or five or six months like it normally does and make it through a season? When you look at the NFL as a whole and your bailiwick, your one team, what's going to be the key for success for this season not wins and losses but actually being able to take the field every week right people making good decisions uh people doing the right thing as far as uh what we've been taught to do in everyday life with this virus number one uh people in this building getting educated on what and they've been we've had many staff meetings with our staff where I've spoke to the staff, Dr. Sills has spoke to our staff. That's Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer. Yes, uh, we did a town hall with Alan Sills and Michael Osterholm, who is of SIDRAP, a famous infectious uh, disease expert who is our infectious disease expert. He's a Minnesotan. Um, So, you know, education's the key. And, you know, that's how we do it. We we do it by making the right decisions. Uh, Again, we're going to have some sort of testing program that's going to be excellent. Um, we're going to have proper screening, proper disinfection, and every opportunity for success. And, and it's really going to be up to us to follow it diligently and uh, keep everybody safe. There are quite a few people I've, who have both written to me uh, and, and who I've heard comment in the media who think it's, that it's going to be impossible to have a season because of all of the various ways I mean, football is a contact sport, obviously. What gives you hope 
that there can be a fairly normal NFL season. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be normal. Uh, might be normal in the fact that the Vikings play 20 games and win the Super Bowl, but it might not be normal when you look at it. Uh, you know, you'll see a referee wearing a face covering. You'll see an athletic trainer wearing a face covering and etc. So it won't be normal. But to answer your question the way that you expected me to answer it is, you know, I'm not sure. It's, it's going to take a lot of work uh, of a lot of people to, to do this and, and have a normal season. And again, it's going to take people making the right decisions. But, you know, I find comfort in uh, having been on many phone calls like my peers throughout the league that the NFL is and the NFL PA, because um, they are absolutely 50 percent of this, uh, the players and the players union and their experts, they're relying on the experts of our country of the CDC, of the World Health Organization, of uh, places like DICON with infectious disease experts. And this is how these protocols are being made. Uh, they're not being made by someone guessing on what's right. It's, they're being made on, based on science. And because they're based on science, we have a chance. Um, I guess the, there's two other things that occurred to me when I was walking through the building with you. And and you were, you were showing me everything. And one was the fact that there really is a lot of space uh, that you were asking players and coaches, uh, you know, to be very, very mindful of their personal space. I have found over time that coaches, and, and maybe not players as much, but coaches are, are pretty kind of dyed-in-the-wool you know, this is the way we've always done it and all that. What, what has been the reaction of, you know, a, a, a football lifer like Mike Zimmer to some of the things that you're going to ask him to do that are going to be totally foreign to anything he's ever had to do as a football coach? Yeah, great question. And, uh, you know, I love Coach Zimmer. I love his old school attitude. I love working with him and for him. And, uh Again, I'm going to keep saying this, education, and that's what we've done. I talk to Coach Zimmer every single day, um, whether it's on the phone, FaceTime, believe it or not. He knows how to do that, or uh, our text messages, and uh, he actually texted me while we were sitting here doing this, and, uh, you know, he gets it. He gets it because he has to get it. Um, every head coach has to get it. That doesn't mean they're going to like it. You know, Mike Zimmer, do you think he wants to meet virtually? You know, he wants to look you in the eye and chew your butt in person. He does not want to do it virtually. But he understands that to have any ability to have success, you have to have a healthy football team. And in order to have a healthy football team in 2020, you have to be very mindful and respectful of this pandemic. When you consider how easily this can spread... Do you believe it makes sense and it is doable for a sport with as much contact as football to have five months of practice and games and to be able to basically most players to be able to survive those five months without getting COVID? Yeah. So, you know, Peter, I'm hopeful. This is it's how I feed my family. This is what I do for a living is NFL football for over two decades now. Um, I have great faith in people like Alan Sills, uh, the NFL chief medical officer, Tom Mayer, who uh, uh, you know is the NFL PA's medical uh, advisor and director, um, Roger Goodell, 
everyone on the NFLPA side. I have great faith that they are using experts to help determine whether this is possible or not. And uh, thankfully, it's above my pay grade. I will get protocols. I will follow them. I will educate people on them. I will enforce them. And I'm hopeful that we could do this. I guess I'll end with this. Um, you've, you've had to deal with a lot of things in your career as an athletic trainer. But I'm guessing nothing compares to COVID-19. You know, COVID-19 is not uh, when you have to deal with, say, the flu or even, I, I doubt, even with, say, MRSA, which, uh, you know, has been a problem for some teams over the years. But I think the thing that's so different about COVID-19 is that it is all over the community. Not only can't you see it, but you simply don't know you can be asymptomatic and you don't know it's there. So it's almost like you can never be comfortable, even when you leave this building. So I wonder, you as someone whose career this is, how odd and how challenging is defending against COVID-19? Yeah, it, it's, I don't have the right words for it. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever worked harder than I've worked in the last four months with all of the things that have been asked of me. That's not a complaint. Uh, that's a fact. And, you know, I've taken great pride in providing people with accurate information, um, listening to the experts. Uh, but it's different. And the thing about this virus is this virus does not care about your political affiliation. It does not care about the color of your skin, your race, or your religion. Uh, it is scary. And it is something that everyone needs to take serious. Um, I know my family has. I have a high school senior who had his senior year ruined. Uh, no graduation, you know, um, graduation party that was out of the norm. And he's hoping he gets to go to college uh, here in a month. Um, but to that point, uh, the world is different. And it's different in this building. My job is never going to be the same. I don't think it will ever be the same. We will learn to do things differently. Um, and that said, we actually have learned some good things from this virus. Um, we're going to be cleaner. We learned how to do a draft virtually with great success. The NFL did an unbelievable job, in my opinion, to do a virtual NFL draft. We figured out a way to examine players from afar virtually because we had to. So everything's possible. Uh, playing NFL games is possible. Keeping people uh, free of illness in this building to the best of our ability as possible. And you know what? Me, I'm going to do my part, and that, that's all I could ask. Eric Sugarman, really good to be with you and to learn an awful lot about what NFL teams are doing to try to make this year happen. And, you know, I would really agree with you in that I don't know if it can work, but the, the way that you are going about it from touring your facility, it sure seems like you're giving it a heck of a shot. I agree. Uh, thanks again for having me, and I hope uh, I said education ten times during this podcast. I hope you got some education today. My thanks to Eric Sugarman and to Fred Gadelli for their help in really amplifying some interesting issues going into the 101st season of professional football in the United States. I'll be back every week with a new podcast with 
Peter King podcast. Stay healthy. Put your masks on. Wear a mask. Let's get rid of this. Let's beat this. And I'll talk to you again next week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.